If you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the book of Galatians, Galatians uh, chapter, uh, Galatians chapter, uh, sorry, not Galatians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 um, and 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. We are uh, in a very interesting part of our series this morning. For the last six weeks, if you are joining us for the first time, we finished off our series called Pursuing Life in the Holy Spirit. Um, and we are moving uh, slowly into our series, um, a new one called Building Committed Community. But these two series are really closely linked to one another. Um, you can't really separate the two. And you're going to see that now in the passage that we're about to read. Um, that is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Let us read. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all uh, the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So, Let's just pause there for a second. What um, Paul is saying here is he's saying a body, this one you're looking at now, has many parts. We've got 10 fingers, we've got 10 toes, we've got two hands, we've got two feet, we have two legs. Um, but yet, though there are many parts, you would still consider it one body. And then he says in a very similar way, so is the church. There are multiple uh, members here in this uh, body this morning. There are many of you with different functions, with different spiritual gifts, with different abilities. And though we are different and different parts, we are still consisted of one body. Does that make sense? We're still considered as one. And so in verse 13, he continues on to explain why, though we are different, yet we are one. And he says this, for in one spirit... We are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made um, to drink of one spirit. So he was saying, he says, yeah, it's because of what happens is when we become Christians, when we believe in Christ, which is a work of the Spirit, he comes and he shows us Jesus, he shows us um, our sin, and when we accept Christ, what he does, the Holy Spirit comes and he engrafts us, he puts us, he connects us to the body of Christ. We become part of the church, we become part of the body. And uh, Part of the six-week series, and I don't want to rehash that too much, but part of the six-week series that we spoke about when the work of the Spirit is that the outworking of the Spirit is that He starts to work in us once we become Christian. We call this a special name. We, we call this sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so part of that daily walk, even in the big things and the mundane things, the Holy Spirit wants to engraft us more and connect us to community. He wants us to be a part of a body in which we function in, in which we are a part of, in which we are working with. This is part of the outworking of the Spirit in a believer. And so it's important for us to understand that that's what he's doing. He's drawing us constantly more and more into community. 
And so it's a bit of a concern and a bit of a red flag if we are wanting to move away from community, Christian community, if we are wanting to be isolated by ourselves and we just don't want to be there, we don't want to help, we don't want to be what a committed community looks like. It's not what the Spirit's doing in our life. It's what the flesh is doing. And so we need to make sure that when we see that, realize this is that war we were speaking about last week. The flesh is fighting against you and, and you need to fight against it because what the Spirit wants is He wants to bring us into community. He wants to uh, engraft us in. He wants to connect us to. And so we see that He does that. At, at the moment of salvation, we become a part of the body of Christ. You might say that you don't you didn't experience that you didn't feel like that happened but this is not necessarily an experience as much as it is a, a spiritual fact this is just what happens so you can be assured this morning that if you came to know Christ if you can say Jesus is my lord and my savior without a shadow of a doubt he has put you by the work of the spirit he has engrafted you into the body of Christ you are connected, you are secured, you are a part of it. And this, this is in great encouragement to us in, in two particular ways. This is an encouragement to us because at times we don't act as we should, right? We do the things that we should not do, and the things we should do, we do not do. And we at times can be filled with guilt and shame, and as a result we start to question, man, am I really saved? Am I really a part of, of what God has done in my life? Or has he done anything at all? And, and the beauty of being engraved into the body of Christ is that you cannot be removed. It's a beautiful thing. Think of a finger. There's once you've been put on and made a finger, you can't just take it off. It doesn't just fall off. Can, maybe we can, but normally it just doesn't come off. An arm, a leg, just don't remove it. Christ is not going to just suddenly remove you from the body. He's not going to be one day in eternity in glory walking around limping because he's missing a leg that decided to go away because of sin. The beauty of what we've got in Christ is security. You are secure. You are in him because of the work that he has done. It's by the blood of Christ that you are a part of the body. Not because of your works, not because of your actions. And in a similar way, your security is not dependent on your works or your actions. Your security is dependent on the work of Christ. And so, man, we are as Christians secure. And so I hope that gives you some peace. Some peace to know that you are secure. The second motivation and encouragement to us is that it is for everyone. It's for all. Read again in verse 13, he says, uh, we are baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. The, the Jews who had the law and the Greeks who were seen as pagans, man, they were also in slaves or free. Those who were enslaved and seen as the least in the society, but also those who were free, man, they were all equal in the body of Christ. Because what brings us in, again, is not a social status. It's not the color of our skin. It's not the language we speak. It's not our nationality. It's none of that. What brings us in is the blood of Christ and the work of the Spirit. And so the beauty of it is that you could be the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, but yet in Christ, the qualification is the same, and therefore we equal. We are equal. And so uh, maybe you feel less valued. 
Maybe society isn't treating you as you should, or maybe you feel lower class and not great. I want to tell you that in the body of Christ, you are just as equal as if the queen was part of it. You are one. We are the same. We are equal. We have different functions. That's the beauty of it. Some of you do some things and other of you do other things. I do something that you don't do and you do some things that I can't do. And, but the beauty is that though we have different functions, we're all valued and equal. That's beautiful. That's the wonderfulness of what God does in our lives. And so I guess the, the, when we speak about community and function, we need to speak about spiritual gifts. Um, but before we can do that, because if you remember again that if you are a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift by God. You have. But the motivation for that is important. So before we uh, unpack what spiritual gifts are, and which we will do, we see in Corinthians, Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, Paul says, Concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so this was a a church who was full of spiritual gifts, some mega spiritual gifts that were doing some big things, and and they were practicing them. And Paul goes, well, hang on a second. Though you have those gifts, you're not using them correctly and as you should. And so I want to inform you on how this is done, because you're doing it wrong. So though though those were important, he, he wants to inform them. But as he goes on and does that, he says, I need to check your motive for why you do it. And what is the motive for spiritual gifts? Well, he speaks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and in chapter 13, he goes and tells us what the motive needs to be. It needs to be love. Love needs to be the motive behind spiritual gifts. Love for one another. For spiritual gifts are for the common good and for the glory of Christ. And so if we lack love for one another, and if we lack love for Christ, we cannot use our spiritual gifts correctly. And so it's important that that's what we're going to focus on this morning, that we make sure that we have a motive behind loving one another, that we care for one another, that we want to build community, because if you don't want to build community, you may as well, as Paul says, be like a clanging cymbal. You make a lot of noise and you do a lot of stuff, but it's wrong. It's not used correctly. We need to make sure that we care for one another. And, and I've got to ask yourself that question this morning. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? And, and may I say that it is completely natural not to. Because the love of the church is not the work of the flesh, it's the work of the spirit. And so our, our nature inside of us does not want to love Others, that's just not other people. We, we want to love ourselves. That's the natural work. And so if you are struggling with asking that, answering that question, do you love the church? And you go, I'm not too sure I really do. You need to ask God to stir up in you a deeper love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Love comes from the Spirit dwelling in us, making us more like Christ. And so you need to ask yourself daily, Lord, would you give me love that I would love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that I would love my neighbor as I love myself. Lord, help me to have a love for your church. Help me, Lord, to have a love that covers a multitude of sin, as it says in Peter. 
It's something you have to ask for, be open to. It doesn't come naturally. Naturally, what happens is we are selfish and want to care about self. That's the, the biggest struggle that we have in a Western society is that we are full of ingrained individualism and uh, independence on, uh, in ourselves. And while you might argue that independence can be good, and I would agree with you in certain situations it can, like if you're a 35-year-old man living in the basement, your mother's basement playing computer games, I would argue that you need independence. But when it comes to the glory of Christ and living for Him in the Christian life, independence and individualism is never going to achieve what we need to be. It is a bad thing. We need to make sure that we are willing to be sacrificial and committed to community. Living for each other. And this is kind of where I want to pick up where Pete was speaking this morning is man, there's a greater city to come. The city that we're in is going to fade away. And, and what that means is, man, this life is temporal. There is, there's a greater life to come. This life is short. Man, many of you are in the back end of your life. How quick did it go? It disappears. I can't believe my son is nearly one. It feels like just the other day. Man, life is quick. So why would we dare focus? Why is it illogical to focus on this life? Rather, we need to focus on the next. There is a life to, that will echo in eternity and there's a life that won't. Man, we want to have lives that have eternal impact. We don't want to focus on the temporal. We want to focus on the eternal. And then what that does and what that means is we need to build committed community. Love in for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of others so that they might know Jesus and experience Him. And that requires costs. But it's okay because this life is temporal. We've got something greater to come. We've got something bigger to focus on. And man, that's why it would, that we've got something and we've got to do that. So I want to challenge you this morning and try stir up in you a love for His church by giving you some motivation, if you won't mind. And, and we're going to go look at a couple of those, and then we will briefly at the end look at how, give you some things I want you to think about as we go through this series of the next couple of weeks. The first motivation in which we have is when we understand how precious the church is to Christ. There's a basic principle that we can tell how important things are to people by how much time they spend on it, how much they think about it and talk about it, Right? I know uh, for Adele that she loves her dresses that she makes with these beautiful dresses for her dolls. Why? Because when I speak to Mike about it, he says, man, Adele spends so much time. She's like focused in. Don't even try talk. She's just in working away on these things for hours on end because it's her passion. And she's great at it. It's valuable. It's something that's special to Adele. I know Brian likes fishing. And hunting. Why? Because nearly every week when I see him, he will tell me how he went to Agoda and he walked up and down the beach for nearly seven kilometers and he didn't catch anything. Or he shows me a picture of a big fish that he got. Why? Because it's, it's something that's important to him. And so we can tell what's important to people by what they speak about and what they value and the time they put in and what they do with it. And so when we look at Christ and we look at the church, man, we see that she is valued. The church is valued. Why? Because he came down and he died for her. 
He would give up glory in heaven, be humbled as a nobody, be treated as dirt, so that he might be beaten beyond recognition, die on the cross, and give up his life for her. She is valued to Christ. The church is valued. We see in in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says these incredible words. It says, talking about the people of the church, us. He says, you are a chosen people. You were chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this is it, God's special possession. The church is God's special possession. Isn't that glorious? Beautiful. We've already described that it's God's body, Christ's body. Our bodies are valuable to us. That's why we protect ourselves. We don't want people to hurt us. So it is with Christ. His body is valued. He will even call the church his bride. Is there anything more glorious than a bride? Valued and cared for and loved and cherished. God calls the church his bride. And when he looks at us, he loves us like a man seeing his bride walk down the aisle. That's how much Christ values the church. He even takes personal attack against the church personally. We see this with Saul as he's off to Damascus to go and persecute the Christians there. And as he's going, he sees Christ reveals himself to him and says what? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me, Saul? This is my bride. This is my body. I value her. She means much to me. What are you doing? Man, and so we got to know that this is something that Christ is invested in. He says, I'm going to build my church. It is something that um, he's going to grow. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. He wants to grow. He's something that's going to mature. We see that in Ephesians 4 verse 13, Christ is devoted to his church. And the, the, the early Christians understood this. The value of community that Christ wanted them to live for one another, commit to each other, take care of each other, to make sure of this. We see this in, in Acts 2 verse 42, that famous verse that says, they devoted themselves, I'm going to do this, I devote myself to, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, spending time with each other, of, of breaking of bread in each other's houses and prayer. And this is important for us to understand that what we are called to, this this call of being a part of the church is not just rocking up here on a Sunday. Your Christian walk cannot just be church on a Sunday. Vital, important as it is, it is more than that. There is more to do. There's, There's life to be lived. There's people to spend time with, to take care of. This is the beauty of a Christian community. The world longs for it, the world desires community, but it cannot find anything that rivals a Christian community. I have, I'm a part of a, I do a certain exercise called CrossFit, and uh, we, we have this thing called the box, it's our, our little gym, it's called the box. And the big thing that CrossFit uh, boasts about is its community, and I've been blown away by how much the world wants community. They want it. They desire it. They long for it. But the problem is with a CrossFit community is that we've 
there's, it's, it's, it's selected to a select few who like exercise and can afford it. It's not for everyone. It's also not very personal and loving inwardly. While we joke and we like to go out and have a bride someone's house, when somebody else's parents die, there's very little happening in there because the community is not meant to love like the churches. And I, I'm just so challenged by the fact that we are called to love inwardly and care for one another's needs, to give up our possessions, to financially help people. We are called to do that. Why? Because the world needs it and longs for it, and this is where we need to be, in such a community. In such a community. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how precious is the bride of Christ to us? Is it precious or isn't it? Because if it isn't, again, I, I want to ask that you asked Christ to stir up a love. It's not going to come one day overnight. It's going to be intentionally sought. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Make what's precious in your heart mine. Because that's ultimately what the Spirit is doing, right? He's transforming us into the image of Jesus, becoming like Him. And He loves His church. So if we're going to become like Christ, we need to love the church. The second motivation, and I think this will be one that stirs in our hearts because it appeals to us. It says, seeing how connected you are to Christ's body and how important to be connected to Christ's body is, will, will show us that we need to be. We, we see Paul talks about um, that the body is connected through joints and ligaments, and life flows easily when we are connected. The hand, when connected to the arm, gets the blood and life. There is life that takes place in it. We see this in Ephesians 4 verses 15 and 16. Paul says this. He says, rather speaking the uh, truth in love, we are to grow up. There's growth that takes place in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each part, each, uh, when each part is properly working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The, there is this incredible nature that when we are, uh, principle, when we are connected to the church, we grow spiritually. When we are connected to community, this is where we grow. If you find that, you're, um, that you aren't growing spiritually, one of the reasons might be is because you're not committed, uh, connected to a committed community. That that's where the problem lies. Show me someone who has gone, I don't need church. Surfing is my church and I spend some time with God in the waves and I'll show you a person who is not growing as he should. Because this is where growth happens. And if you are wanting to experience the extent of God's love for you, you need to be connected to a church. If you are wanting to know God fully, as have every possible avenue available to you, you need to be connected to a community. 
And I've spoken about this this year, so I will emphasize it, and I will emphasize it again, but we, we see that in Ephesians 3, where, where Paul talks about how we are to experience God's his height, the depth, and the length, and the breadth of His love. He says so, that you together with all the saints experience it. It's only together that we are going to grasp the extent of God's love for us. Now, I'm not saying that by yourself you can't experience it. You will, but you won't experience the extent of it. You limit yourself to something less than you should if you are by yourself. Man, there is this beautiful thing that when we love, we get each other. We experience God's love. And the reason for this is because God is community himself. It's part of his very nature. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And inwardly, what we see there is we see perfect fellowship, perfect community. And so if we are going to know God greatly, man, that's when we need to love one another. Because we only experience that aspect of God when we do it ourselves. The, the extent of God's love is made great for us through the body. Anna Marie coming up this morning going, I feel this is for someone. He has a word. And maybe it was for someone in this room this morning who feel like they're going through a hardship and a difficult moment. And as you hear Anna Marie speak scripture to you, you can feel that God of all creation has seen you and he cares. Man, you could have read that scripture yourself, but how beautiful it is that God has sent someone going, I see you. Look at this. You can't experience that, friends, outside of community. And you experience it more when we spend time with each other on more and more occasions other than for an hour or two on a Sunday. If you are to grow, you cannot be outside this community. And I, I, I'm trying to pay, uh, play to our selfish and individualism here a little. How does this benefit me? Man, you get to grow more into the image of Christ. You get to know the extent of God's love. You get to experience how he will love you through others. You will benefit much by being in a community. Yes, you must give up much, but you get much in it. You get to know more and more of God. We get to do that. The last motivation in which we will speak about is that we are um, a committed community is con that contends for each other's well-being gives uh, Christ much glory. Much glory. When we work together and love one another, we offer something that the world cannot offer. And those who walk in this place and have experienced this community stay because they are being loved, where they cannot experience elsewhere. Man, when we work together, we are stronger. We can do much more than if we were a bunch of individuals doing stuff for the glory of Christ. I, I've used this example before, but I use it again. When we think of a team of superstars, great on paper, but they're all individuals. They want to play for their own glory. They often lose to a team of no superstars that play for each other. Because when we work together, 
We can do more than if we were doing our own thing by ourselves. The extension of God's kingdom will go much further when we who are united, our hearts aflamed, running together for the glory of Christ. We do much more together. So a couple of things that I want you to think of this week as we wrap up. There's a couple of things that I just want you to ponder on and think is how do we arrange our lives to facilitate community? How do we do that? And the first one is, probably the, the biggest one is, how do you use your time? Because remember, time shows a value. Time shows value. And now I'm not asking you to drop something valuable. I'm just asking you to find time for something that's extremely valuable. And that's community. So would you think about that this week? What, where am I, how am I investing in with time into community? How am I doing that? How, am I, how are you using your money to help others financially? How are you using your, your greatest spiritual influence, which is prayer? Are you praying much for others? Are you contending for the church? Are you praying and asking God to, to grow her, to mature her, to bring others into this body? Are you using prayer to do that? Do you have capacity for a friend or two? Because the reality of the matter is people come in here not to sign membership forms, but to be committed to friendships. And people who walk in this building don't want to just sign on a dotted line, but they want to know someone personally. And if they don't find that, they just go. Friendships make people stick because they belong to something. So even when the preacher preaches a bad sermon, they don't mind. Why? Because, hey, man, they're with their friends. And we're doing this together. We're committed to one another. Do you have place for a friend or two? How are you using your dinner table? Are you having people over for supper? We all eat and if you're not eating, come and chat to me. We will help you out. But we all eat. We all have dinner. I'm going to be making dinner tonight. I will be preparing it, and I will be eating. It's not an extra, too much of a fuss to have an extra plate or two. Often we have leftovers anyway. How are you using your dinner table to build community with people that are sitting here? Who have you had over recently? Or do the people always look like you or are they, do they look a little different? Do you want to be obedient to God in this because that's ultimately what it's about? His reputation is on the line. God's church, his bride's reputation is on the line. If we do this badly, we give her a bad reputation and ultimately him. We want to do this well for the glory of Christ. Man, we benefit from it, but for his glory. Are you using your family and the extension of your family to reach others and make sure they come in? Man, Malachi is uh, only 10 months old, but is already we have an antenatal group that we meet and, and do swimming lessons together. We uh, meet up for breakfast together. And it means because of that connection of my son that I am able to meet with people who would never cross my path. Non-Christians that I'm able to be influencers in because of, because of that. Are you using your gifts and your talents for selfish gain and prideful reasons? Or are you using it for the benefit of others and the glory of Christ? Are you helping her grow by sharing the gospel? 
Those are some things to pray about and think about this week. Remember, this is important to Jesus. It benefits you, and it is something that helps extend the kingdom of God. And if you are struggling with this, ask God to help you. He will. I promise. He will. Break my heart, Lord, for your church. Help me love her. That is something we need to be praying about. And when we do this, man, guys, it's going to be glorious as we experience the extent of God's love together, journeying, running on this adventure for his name. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the work of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that it is by your blood that we are saved and by the ingrafting of the Spirit that we are in community and nothing else. And that we can rest and be at peace knowing that we are always a part of this wonderful body. We, Lord, we pray for forgiveness if we have in any way not been doing what we should. If we have been a dead limb that has just not been working. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up in us a desire to be active in this community. Help us, Lord, to love your church. See her as precious. Help us, Lord, to do this so that we might know you better, that we might know Christ more clearly, that we might become like him more clearly, that we might be able to experience the extent of your love for us as we pursue after the depth and the length and the height and the breadth of God's love together. We pray, Lord, that you would make us effective, a body that's fully functional, fit and strong, running after those who are lost so that they might come to know Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray. Encourage us, I ask. Help us to be the light and salt you need us to be, together, united, a committed community for the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.